Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is July 23rd, and our passage for today is Matthew chapter 2. Now, we're going to look at the wise men today and uh, the story that surrounds them. But before we do, I want to go back and just once again review Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1, the book of the ancestry, the genealogy, the DNA of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the Christos. The word Christos, I remind you, is a Greek word. The O-S on the end of Christos is an inflected ending. It has to do with identifying where the word fits into the sentence. That's lopped off in English, and you add the word Christ. Now, Christ, in our language, is translated anointed one. But it is transliterated letter for letter in the New Testament. You have the chi, that's the ch, hard ch sound, the rho, the iota, the sigma, and the tau. Those make up the word Christ. Christos, the anointed one, is the definition. In Hebrew, the word is Mashiach. It's transliterated Messiah, but the two mean the same thing. So this is the ancestry, the genealogy of the Christ, the anointed one, Jesus. And he is the son of David, the son of Abraham. I want to remind you that the two most important people in the entire Old Testament that have to do with our salvation and the two most important people in the entire Old Testament are Abraham and David. And the primary reason for that is because to them were made unconditional promises concerning their lineage. God promised Abraham in Genesis 15 that through his genealogy would come the Messiah. And so God promised Abraham land. He promised him a name. He promised him a people. But he also said that you will bless all the nations, and it is through him that the Messiah would come. He renewed that promise to Yitzhak, Isaac, to Yaakov, to Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. And for all of those who were in that line, this was delineated over and over again. But when it came to Judah, Judah then was designated as the tribe from whom the scepter would not depart in the last chapter of the book of Genesis. So this is very important. As far as who Abraham is, King David was made a promise concerning his kingdom, concerning his reign, concerning his dynasty. It was through King David that the Messiah was to come, and he is called the son of David in Matthew. You see, Matthew is the gospel of the kingdom. Remember, there are four gospels. Why four gospels? Because there is not one gospel that could capture 
picture all that Jesus is. And when you open the gospel of Matthew, it is the gospel of the king, the gospel of the kingdom. The word king and kingdom is used and the concepts of that and the Messiah being the son of David is identified more than any other gospel. And so Matthew is the gospel of the king and the gospel of the kingdom. Mark does not start at the genealogy. He starts immediately at the baptism, the ministry of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is presented as the obedient servant of his Father in heaven, as the Messiah who has come as the second Adam to live in total obedience and to earn the righteousness that Adam lost. And so Luke, he is presented by the physician Luke, in his humanity. So we have the birth details. And we're going to find out that the birth of Jesus was not what the Magi saw and were present at. It was much later than that. And so the Gospel of Luke deals with the humanity of Jesus. When we get to that, we'll deal with it because in the Gospel of Luke, you have more words that deal with human emotion and a human condition. Jesus is said to be weary. He's tired. He wept. He on and on and on. The humanity of Jesus is emphasized. Certainly his deity in all of these, but this was the gospel of his humanity. So you have the birth account there. You have more about uh, him growing up. And then in John, you do not start with a genealogy, but you start with the absolute God of eternity and how this God became flesh and dwelled among us. And so John gives us seven signs and seven sayings that Jesus did to prove that he is God and that only God could do and only God could say. And the greatest miracle, of course, is the substitutionary death on Calvary outside of the city walls of Jerusalem and his resurrection from the dead. It's important that we understand that David and Abraham are mentioned because they are the two men that were given unconditional promises concerning the Messiah, one of his lineage, one of his dynasty. Now, in chapter 2, we open up, and as soon as we look at chapter 2, we're confronted with these magoi, the magas, the magi, as we would bring it into English. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, Bethlehem was the city, Judea was the Roman province, in the days of Herod the king. Now, this would have been about 4 B.C., that Jesus would have been born. Uh, not long after this, of course, within just a couple of years, Jesus would have been a toddler and Herod would have died. And we'll talk about that more. But it was somewhere in this time frame of 4 BC at the beginning of it, 5 and 4, that this birth took place. And here it was where Herod was wanting to kill all the babies in Bethlehem. What brought that about? Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, 
Magoi, wise men from the east. That is, they came from the east and they came west to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east. They didn't see the star, that is, the star being in the east, and they were in the west looking at it. No, they were in the east when they saw the star, and the star would have been in the west, and they have come to worship him. In other words, these were uh, men who were probably from uh, the media Persian area of the Middle East. Uh, as a matter of fact, Herodotus, the great historian, says that these were Median, and that's what the magicians and wise men were called, the astrologers. They were called Magoi. So they were probably media and had taken on the customs and cultures of the Persians. And uh, they were studying the scriptures and the stars, and they saw that uh, and followed the teaching of uh, the Torah and of the prophets and of the writings. And so that's why they arrived there. And when Herod heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. There's a word here, trouble, means that he was perplexed. He was just agitated. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And so it was predicted, uh, of course, Micah had predicted that Jesus, the Messiah, would be born in Bethlehem. And so that being the case, he wanted to do everything he could to try to find out who it was, not so he could worship him. He was a schizophrenic, paranoid ruler, and he wanted to kill him. That's exactly what he wanted to do. And even knowing that more than likely this prophecy was true and that he would be killing the Messiah, he didn't care. He was just paranoid. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the Magoi, these wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. That is, when did you first see this star? And uh, he sent to Bethlehem and said, Go search carefully for the young child. When you found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Now, that was just a bold-faced lie. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen when they were in the east went before them. Evidently, they had not seen it up until that time, but they had calculated it would be in the city of Jerusalem according to the prophet he would be born in Bethlehem, but they had seen the star. They calculated it was in the capital of the Jewish people, which was then Jerusalem is now Jerusalem. The star came and stood over the place where the young child was. Now, this is interesting that the word young child here in verse 8 and in uh, verse 9 in verse 11 and when they had come into the house they saw the young child with his mother Mary and fell down and worshiped and they uh, offered him and opened gifts now the reason i say this is interesting is because the word here is pod it's the word padion or padon or padu depending upon the ending but it's the word for child Child. It's not a word for an infant. That's the word brephos. That's the word that's used in Luke chapter 2 where 
the scripture says that you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. doesn't say you'll find the potty on. You'll find the brephos. The word brephos is the word for a, a baby, either uh, before it comes out of the womb or in the womb. It is the word brephos. It's the word for an infant. But that's not the word here. This is the word for a young child, a potion, some a child that's probably in its second year, anywhere from 13 months on to 23 months or so. Then after that, it would uh, go into another age bracket. But this is a potion. This would be what we would call something like a toddler. So the scripture says... They were then divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, so they departed for their own country another way. Now, uh, there are two schools of thought as to where they found the child. If you follow the Gospel of Matthew, it would be Bethlehem. If you follow the Gospel of Luke, Luke says after the days of purification, And after the time when they had dedicated Jesus, that is Joseph and Mary in Jerusalem in the temple, that they immediately left for Nazareth. Now, I mean, uh, I say immediately, it is just the natural narration that they, after that dedication, they took off for Nazareth, and that's where they had come from. That's where their home was. There's no indication whatsoever that they would have left their home coming to live in Bethlehem. That's where the child would be born. Why? Because that's where his ancestry was, and that's where he was being registered. That's where they were going to fulfill their duties to be counted in the census so they could be taxed. And everyone had to go to their ancestral home. And because Joseph and Mary were of the tribe of Judah, they had to go to Bethlehem, which was the area where their ancestor David had been born. Now, that would have not been the capital of Judah. That would have been Hebron, and that's where David ruled. But David was not born in Hebron. He was born in Bethlehem, and that's where he and his uh, father Jesse lived with all of his brothers, and that's where he tended the sheep. That's where Samuel anointed him was Bethlehem, not Hebron. And so now Joseph and Mary both were in Nazareth. That was their home. That's where their family was. And so they would have gone back there, according to Luke, after they had dedicated the child, while they were coming for Passover. That's why they were coming to Jerusalem, and they were just going to register while they were there. They wouldn't have just made that trek with her pregnant just to be coming to be registered. That could have waited for a while. That did not have to be done immediately. No, the reason they did that, they were coming for Passover. Over unleavened bread. They were coming for first fruits because all three of those were there together. And they were coming to celebrate and they were going to register while they were there. All of this is just following the great narrative and flow of history. Remember, history is his story. Now, you know the remainder of the story. When the Magi went back another way, whether it was Bethlehem or Nazareth, it says, Now when they had departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother, and flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring word for you, because Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Now that doesn't tell you whether they were in Bethlehem or Nazareth. Because wherever it was, it was not just Herod 
that wanted to destroy this king because when he is called back, the angel said in verse 19, now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream in Egypt saying, arise and take the young child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. Look at this, not for Herod who sought the young child's life is dead, but for those who sought the young child's life are dead. It wasn't just Herod who had died, but others had been uh, taken out by the Lord who wanted to see this child die. So it wasn't just Herod. It was a whole group of men. Certainly, I believe it was a group of men. It was certainly more than two because those is a plural as far as number is concerned. And so there were others that were wanting to see the demise of this one who was born king of the Jews as well. And so whether he was in Nazareth or whether he was in Bethlehem, you can make up your own mind about that. I have my own thoughts about it. Those have changed over the years. But a lot has changed in my mind since I have learned what I have learned through research. And that's okay because, you see, when you're a child, you do childish things and believe just whatever's told you. But as you begin to grow and become a man, you put away your childish beliefs sometimes. And some of those are good, but some of them are not. And there's a lot of things I once believed that I don't believe anymore after studying the scriptures in their historical context. I believe the Bible is a word of God from cover to cover. Yes, I do more than I ever have in all my years of ministry and study and research. I believe the Bible is completely reliable. I believe it is without error in any way. However, that doesn't mean that I interpret it like you do and uh, that I interpret it from a Western perspective because I do not. So all to say is you read through this gospel, read it, read it, read it, and read it over again. For On The Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.